welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you? Oh, couldn't be better. What a weekend. Feels good to be back, but we had such a great weekend. It's good to uh, good to be sitting across from you. How are you? I'm doing great. What an amazing show in Brooklyn this past weekend with True Crime Obsessed. Of course, our buddies Patrick Hines and Jillian Pensavale. And uh, we joined. Uh, we were joined by Maggie Freeling as well. So it was a nice reunion, and it was just so much fun, Lance. So big shout-out to them. Check out their show, True Crime Obsessed, if you haven't already. Yeah, and we were also joined by about 350 of our closest uh, friends and fans, which was really nice. Thanks to everybody who came out and braved the 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 Brooklyn uh, environment. It was a uh, what a cool location, right? The Bell House. It was really cool, and it was amazing to walk out on the stage and see that amount of people. And uh, big shout out to uh, Pelfrey the dog who was there, who uh, we know from Twitter. That that was pretty yep. cool. Yeah, she asked a question. And we had the direct appeal ladies. They were in the audience. Unfortunately, everything just kind of ended really fast. And it's hard to quantify the popularity of Patrick and Jillian. They were basically swarmed at the end. And we were, much like the Beatles in the 60s, ushered off stage until the crowd cleared. (laughs) That's right. Uh, But it was a a lot of fun. So thanks to those guys. And um, yeah, I, I would love to do something again with them in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Lord knows they need our help. (laughs) But here we are, Lance, to discuss our interview with Bill Thomas. Bill, of course, uh, was on these airwaves a few months ago on a couple of episodes, a two-part episode called Killer on the Parkway. And uh, so this is actually another two-part episode, Lance. We um, We can't talk to Bill without it being at least two hours. My God, Bill is such a huge friend of the show. He is gracious enough to come down and comment on how wonderful and palacious and commodious our studio is. He he always compliments how cleanly it is, how uh, how we our, our decorating is uh, really to perfection, and then and then we just have this conversation where nothing's off the table. Right. And uh, we really run the gambit. And a lot of this conversation is pretty loose, especially the first part, the beginning. Um, We kind of we talk about the American Crime Festival a little bit. We talk about Crime Con a bit. We really kind of talk about a lot of the things that you would talk about with an old friend when you see them at first. And then we get into the Colonial Parkway murders, which, of course, Bill is a huge advocate for. And his sister was murdered. And they are doing a new television show for Oxygen called The Lover's Lane Murders. And I think that's going to be really cool. So we've got him before the show is out there. Yeah. So his sister was murdered. Allegedly, we can say we can say most likely it was the same killer. But even Bill reserves the right to say, hey, this could be several different killers. Um, His sister was murdered along with Rebecca Ann Dowski. And it was uh, Kathleen Thomas's his sister and her girlfriend, Rebecca Andowski. They were both killed on October 12th. So we're coming up to the anniversary in 1986. And then there were also one, two, three, four, four, at least like other couples that are uh, linked to the Parkway murders. But um, again, the, this is a series of murders that could be one person, could be several people, but Bill is uh, made it his life mission to get to the bottom of all of them. Right. And so I really hope you enjoy these episodes. We got a, a ton of great comments on the previous uh, two-parter. So I think you'll really enjoy hearing from Bill Thomas again. And uh, part two will come out tomorrow on Thursday. So thank you very much for listening.
Bill Thomas, welcome to the Crawl Space Studios. You are here again. Thank you very much for coming down to Wormtown. It's always great to see you. We've spent some time with you at CrimeCon this year at ASOC in Albany. And now this is the second time you're coming to the commodious. The very commodious. Crawl Space Studios. Uh, it's a return visit. This yes. is a great uh, a great honor to it's be It's always back. fun to look in the calendar and see Bill Thomas in Wormtown and know that this is what your day is going to be. You get to talk true crime. We we just hung out for two hours, had lunch. That's talk, true. Talked about all aspects of true crime, mm-hmm. the business end, the passion end, That's the true. legal end. There's so much going on. Uh, yeah. I mean, you rolled up in your, in your Mini Cooper with... With new license plates. New Connecticut plates. We've made yeah. the full transition from <laughs> California to Connecticut. And your license uh, plate says Billy T. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to spot yep. for my friends in law enforcement yeah. while I'm motoring down the Mass Pike. No connection to Billy T's and Revere. <laughs> no one's got a connection to Billy a, T's and Why do I have a vague recollection that's a strip joint or something? Uh, oh, you probably managed a band that played that there. Played yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got into a fight there. <laughs> I, I did, uh, we did play a place called the Hofbrau House in Alston. Oh, and yeah. And then uh, I negotiated a raise for the band, the rock and roll band called The Games. This is in the skinny tie new wave era. And I got a, I, was I got total. a raise, and the then the club owner refused to pay, and I had to take him to small claims court. Oh my gosh! Uh, but I, I gonna say I had to take him outside. No, 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 no. I, yeah, it probably would have been the <laughs> other way around. Um, but I, I took the guy to small claims court for for fifty bucks. Jeez! And, wow! Did you win? Uh, yeah, with court costs, it was like over ninety dollars. Oh, okay, he, a big and, score. And he paid, and the judge told me he was really impressed that I was like, you know, right out of college. He was really impressed that we we fought for our fifty bucks. Good. And, and I I think I drove up to the court like I'm not kidding, like three or four times. It was not, and took time off from my part time job. And what happened to the to the band? You said it was the Doors. No, the <laughs> no, it was definitely not the Doors. It was a. Uh, Friends of mine from Needham called The Games. The Games. Uh, one thing I did want to say um, while we're here at the Commodious Crawl Space Studios is the staff has gone above and beyond with the seasonal decorations. The The uh, Halloween theme is yeah. just uh, stellar. So those uh, spider webs you see up there, those are uh, actual spider webs, though. Real spider yeah. webs. We, real spiders. We too. imported them from yeah. um, Springfield. Those are uh, Lance's assistants, all yep. the spiders all up the there. Spi- yeah, they, they do his emailing. They do my bidding, my <laughs> my Twittering. <laughs> well, you know, all brown recluse spiders, so <laughs> stay on their good side. Uh, you guys, you know, look, you, you're the two entrepreneurs that decided to go with the creepy name of Crawl Space <laughs> yeah. for one of your successful podcasts. Yeah, you know, you get what you, uh, you get what you get. You reap what and, you sow. Right. You sow and what you, you reap. You get what you get and you don't get upset. Yeah. Oh. Wow. I, did that? Yeah. I like that. I like that. Sounds like something one of my <laughs> Irish aunts would have said. <laughs> it seems like you are advocating in, a, in the most productive manner you can. Well, you you know, you try to. I'm not saying I don't have my dark moments. Of course. And, you know, we we all do. And, um, I, well, I think one of the things that helps is try to do something worthwhile with, with you know, your concern. I mean, I, I said to you both when we were having lunch, um, I have kind of a little prepared speech 
that I give almost everyone I meet, which is, okay, I've agreed to do X um, in order to move the Colonial Parkway murders forward. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty upfront, and I, I've said this hundreds of times. I want to be clear here. Uh, you know, I'm thrilled to participate in 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 this example of podcast, but my agenda, and I think it's very helpful to be that upfront, yeah. is I'm trying to move forward the murder investigation of my sister Kathy Thomas, her girlfriend Rebecca Dowski, and six other young people in the Colonial Parkway murders. And, it, it, you know, like now we're working on a television show. I'm thrilled that we're doing a television show for Oxygen, and I can't talk very much about it, but the fact that it's happening, it makes me really excited. And the team is amazing, and I think it's going to be really a phenomenal television show. It won't be on the air until next year, but um, these things take time. Yeah, and so you recently shot this show? We just started production in Virginia um, for the Oxygen Network, and uh, the show will be on the air probably next spring. So that's spring 2020, and that's probably all I can say. Can't wait. Um, and you're, the uh, the Texas Crew production company was involved? Right. So it's people that, that you know. They Old actually had nice things to say about the two Stop of you. Stop lying. <laughs> hard to believe the kindness to children and small animals that they witnessed was just, they were very impressed. Well, we're big fans. Yeah, no, big, actually. Big the, fans of Texas Crew. A, a, bunch of the, uh, a bunch of the crew from Texas Crew Productions, um, you know, really did express how what a great uh, time they had working with you on the Maura Murray series and our uh, television show is co-produced by Texas crew and our friends at XG productions in Los Angeles. And, um, I I'm thrilled. It's been a long time in coming and I hope people will watch the show and learn about the case and, and, uh, uh, you know, enjoy the unfolding of the story at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. We've got friends in, uh, in all those groups, uh, XG and oxygen. So, uh, I can't wait for the show. What's it going to be called? They seem to be calling it the Lover's Lane Murders. I don't know if that'll end up being a working title, or, um, but right now all the paperwork says Lover's Lane Murders. Okay. And what you, uh, drew you to these guys or vice versa? Jim Clementi, um, legendary uh, former FBI profiler, and I sat down, I think it's going to be three years ago this winter, I sat down at Jim's house, he had me over for dinner, we had barbecue, and... He just asked me a ton of questions about the case. You know, his profiler's instincts and training just kind of kicked in, and he just, we sat there for hours. Um, I, we outlasted a number of other dinner guests <laughs> <laughs> uh, who were there to join us. Uh, we just kept going and going, and probably, you know, 7 o'clock to midnight or something like that, going over uh, the particulars of the case. And then I really liked Jim and admired his background and his intelligence and just a, Jim has a real intensity about the work that he does. And then he and I just started talking about it. And, and a few months later, when the time seemed right, I, I circled back with Jim and he had the, this LA based uh, production company that did a number of successful television series. And of course they've got the real crime profile, um, podcast and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and they've done so much more in the last couple of years. I, I circled back with them and I said, I think the time may be right. And so he and I started working together on uh, that. And he, you know, he went out and pitched it 
and uh, Oxygen came on board, and then they brought in uh, Texas Crew Productions to help beef up on the production side. And so the two companies are working together to create a new limited television series. It I sounds think, like you have an incredible crew, an incredible team that's put together for this. Is there any expectation well, as far as... Uh, you know, case discoveries? Well, you know, they've got, uh, we've got um, uh, former FBI agent Maureen O'Connell on the case and Lonnie Coombs, who's a um, veteran prosecutor. Oh, she might not like me saying veteran. Ah. Highly experienced <laughs> <laughs> uh, prosecutor, both LA-based. Um, and uh, Jim Clemente is going to be on the show. And I think it's going to be a, a really amazing. You, you can't fault uh, the amount of brain power and experience that have gone into creating the team that's putting the show together. And Bobby Chacon is a part of it as well? Bobby Chacon was originally on, on the show, and now he was conflicted out because he's working on another project. Ah, uh, okay. So Lonnie Coombs is the new Im- new and improved Bobby Chacon. Okay, uh, so uh, Lonnie does. Uh... <laughs> but she's not a diver, but she is a very, uh, you know, uh, articulate... Uh, victim's advocate and former prosecutor, and uh, I think uh, we miss Bobby, but I think uh, I think the team with uh, Jim Maureen and, and Lonnie is going to do a great job. Great. And uh, what about some shakeup or tips or anything like that? Has stuff like that happened yet? Well, it's funny. I, I something is very striking. Uh, you know, we're not going to talk about the show while it's you know being shot and and so on. It, it's It'll it'll all be, you know, revealed next spring when when the producers have had a chance to put the show together. But it's funny. I put up one mention, a single mention with a single photograph from the Colonial Parkway, mentioning uh, a week ago that we were starting production on a new series, The Lovers Lane Murders, based on the Colonial Parkway case. And I'm just amazed. People are coming out of the woodwork. And this this is for a television show that isn't even going to be on the air for, I don't know, six months or something, uh, maybe less. But we find that when we put up notices, particularly around this time of year, here we are, we're talking in October, six of the eight homicides in the Colonial Parkway murders were committed around this time. Mm-hmm. Three of the uh, double homicides were committed between uh, Labor Day and uh, Columbus Day weekend. So we always put up notices around the anniversary dates of the four double homicides in the Colonial Parkway murders. And we often find that people will respond. And this, I, I find this baffling, but in a positive way, every single time we do that, people come out of the woodwork with new information. I don't know in some cases why people are, have waited for in some cases, 30 years to come forward, but they they have. And then we put this little blurb, which is probably as far as I could take it, which is just to say that we started production. And we have over 8,000 followers now on our Facebook page, and it keeps growing. But the little thing I put up was forwarded over a thousand times, like 1,112 times or something like that as of this morning, which just... We're just floored by this. And now people are coming forward with new-to-me information. I was with a guy on the phone last night until midnight. I finally had to 
get ready to go to bed because I was heading over to meet with you guys today. <laughs> you wanted to get a full like 16 hours of sleep. Yeah, <laughs> like a vampire or yeah. something. No, you know, I wanted to be reasonably fresh when I saw you guys because yeah. I know how challenging you can be. Well, we don't call ourselves the uh, douchewood and turdstein of... Uh, <laughs> podcasting <laughs> for nothing is, anywho is that what you call yourself yes um i wanted to be fresh and uh, ready up for the challenge because of you know the way you two come at me um <laughs> like brown recluse spiders <laughs> <laughs> stay down jumping on my my innocent every word flesh yes. jumping at my innocent flesh <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't yeah, it? I like that. Um, I don't know how to picture that. Chomping uh, <laughs> at my innocent flesh. <laughs> All right. Wow, we went off the rails fast. <laughs> Let's, uh, you know, I think your listeners are going to enjoy this podcast <laughs> so immensely. Yes, I agree. Uh, so I wanted to be, you know, I, I had to bring my A game here. Yes. Like at. We'll at take a G Amer- game if you want. American Crime Fest when I'm going to be on this amazing panel. Yes. I've got to be, you know. At least try to not look like a complete slug. <laughs> yeah, this is your training. For right. That. Yeah. Um, so, but I was at, on the phone with this guy till late last night, and he's giving me all sorts of information. I'm not. I'm not sure where it's going to go. He now he's got me wanting to talk to somebody else, and, and you know, typically what I'll do is I I will speak with these people and then try to put together something in writing and send it to the FBI, who are the lead agency in the Colonial Parkway murders. And then they write back to you and say, thanks a lot, Bill, uh, working on it. And we never hear from them oh, again. Oh, no way. That's a conspiracy. Um, can you give us a brief overview of the case, um, just so for our listeners who are unfamiliar or, or need a refresher from sure. the last episodes? When we talk about the Colonial Parkway murders, um, we're talking about four double homicides of uh, four young couples that occurred from 1986 to 1989. Sometimes we say four years, but it's actually three years when you look at a calendar, 86, 87, 88, and 89. And these are in and around Williamsburg, Virginia. And the first case um, is um, Columbus Day weekend, October 12th, 1986. My younger sister, Kathy Thomas, and her girlfriend, Rebecca Dowski, were found murdered. And then... Uh, approximately a year later, 11 months later, um, case number two took place, which is the murder of Robin Edwards and David Knobling at a place called the Ragged Island Wildlife Refuge, sometimes called Management Area, um, which is about a half an hour away in a place called Isle of White, Virginia. And that's opposite Newport News, which is a pretty major... Um, city and shipbuilding center. You can see lots of aircraft carriers um, being built on the one side of the water of the James River, and then on the other side is this kind of very pretty uh, marshy area called Ragged Island, um, significantly more built up now than it was 30 years ago. So that's that's case number two. Then the following April, now back on the Colonial Parkway, now we're up to April 1988, if my mental calendar is working right. Um, the young couple, both Christopher Newport University students, go missing. Their names are Keith Call and Cassandra Haley. And they are at a party in, in Newport News, where the, their college is, um, and are, are heading home to Grafton, Virginia, about half an hour away. And um, 
Keith has committed to uh, Sandy's parents that uh, he's going to have them home. I think it's by two o'clock. I, I sort of smile when I think about you know meeting at two a.m. curfew because <laughs> that would have been me you know many years ago. And sadly, Keith and Cassandra go missing and have never been found. Now the car Keith's Toyota Celica is found on the Colonial Parkway, uh, about a mile or two from where my sister Kathy's 1980 Honda Civic was found. And the two places along the Colonial Parkway are both very similar. They're these little half-moon pull-offs along the Colonial Parkway, um, in this case along the York River. And then case number four in the Colonial Parkway murders is the following Labor Day weekend. Another couple go missing along Interstate 64. They're driving from Amelia County, Virginia, which is up closer to Richmond, down this through this peninsula tidewater area on their way to Virginia Beach. And um, it, it's funny, I call them a couple. They're actually not a couple per se, but really traveling companions. Uh, Anna Maria Phelps and Daniel Lauer are their names. And Anna Maria is was actually dating... Daniel's brother, Clint, uh, Clinton Lauer, and um, they're returning from Amelia County, going down to Virginia Beach. They go missing over Labor Day weekend 1989, and then their bodies are found about six weeks later uh, in the woods by hunters um, in, um, in a state of pretty serious advanced decomposition. They're lying side by side under a blanket that was taken from Daniel's car. Um, you know, one of the odd details that always jumps out at me in the Phelps Lauer murder is that they're heading, I always have to think about this for a second, they're heading eastbound in the direction of Virginia Beach, and but the car, uh, he has an older Chevy Nova, is found on the westbound side of the highway. There are two rest stops, one on either side of this interstate highway. It's two lanes in either direction with a grassy and wooded median in between rest stop on one side and then a mirror image rest side rest stop on the other side the car is found uh in the headed in the wrong direction as if it is being driven back from virginia beach up to amelia county and not in the original direction of travel so it, it does appear that they may have been taken from the car or in the car taken to the next exit towards virginia beach where the perpetrator probably exits, takes them to the woods, kills them, leaves the car there, and then drives the car back in the wrong direction, back to back to the rest stop. Um, the opposite way that the, they were the opposite there. way. Wow! And so it's it's funny. I don't mean to get too far down into the details of the case, but the the four double homicides. So they all happen over this three year period in. Two of them are FBI cases, uh, Thomas Towski, which is case number one, and um, the disappearance of, of Keith Call and Cassandra Haley, which is case number three. Those are FBI cases from the word go because in those examples, they occurred in a national park, the Colonial Parkway. Oh, okay. National Park. So they, you know, the, the National Park Service police and the FBI are the um, uh, agencies with jurisdiction. The other two cases, um, case number number two, Edwards Knobling, that's the one at Ragged Island, 
is a Virginia State Police case. Was that intentional, separating it like that, you think? Well, it's just the way things worked out from a jurisdictional perspective. You know, if you're, sadly, if you're murdered in a national park, the FBI is the agency of record. Yeah. If you are murdered outside a national park, then it would either be up to local or county law enforcement. um, and, And then the Virginia State Police will assist. In these two examples, Ragged Island and the I-64 murder, number four, Phelps Lauer, uh, which is in New Kent County, Virginia, those agencies, the the uh, the sheriff's office in uh, Isle of Wight County and in New Kent County, these are pretty rural areas. Mm. They didn't have the resources, really, to yeah. investigate a murder, so they actually handed the case off to the Virginia State Police. Okay. Um, I guess what I'm asking is, is more of like the killer's intentions, which no one really knows, but I mean, the killer's, uh, intentions, I, I, I'm wondering if they were aware of jurisdictional lines and tried to confuse the entire case. Yeah, land them in different spots. Yeah. Yeah. Would they know that, uh, I'm dumping in a national park, that that's FBI? If so, then you're looking at someone who has at least a little bit of insight into well, the, the legal system. No, your question is a good one. Of course, first, it's I think it's premised on an assumption, which is, are the double homicides and the Colonial Parkway murders even actually related? Right. Well, let's put a pin in that for a second. You make a good point, though, which is, if they are related, let's go with that for a okay. second. Um, it is interesting that this perpetrator or these perpetrators do seem to move things around. If you take the center point of the two uh, murders on the Colonial Parkway, and I'm just choosing that at random, um, it's about a half an hour in either direction mm-hmm. to Ragged Island on uh, to the southeast. I'm think, thinking of my mental map here. And uh, the Interstate 64 rest stop um, and hunting area where the bodies were found in Phelps Lauer. Um, it's about a half an hour to the, I'm doing this mentally, I think that's the Northwest. Um, it is interesting that these murders would take place on the parkway, off the parkway, on the parkway, off the parkway, and in opposite directions. Mm. And, you know, maybe it's not a coincidence that, you know, in, in the, in the Interstate 64, New Kent County example, and the um, Ragged Island example, and Isle of Wight County, that the killer or killers are choosing areas that respectfully don't have much law enforcement presence at all. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned that you sat with former FBI profiler Jim Clemente a few years ago to discuss the case. Um I don't know how much you can share about that, but did did he shed any light on the killer for you, or the, did, does he even think it's one killer? Well, he he has not. He's actually in the process of um, reprofiling the case now. Obviously, he's he's a retired FBI agent, so he's not he doesn't have complete access to the thousands of documents mm. and the files and so on. But it's funny, actually, Jim, you know, with his profiling training would not listen to this podcast, for example. He wants to approach things and go where the evidence takes him, not what Bill Thomas's opinion 
is of the case. Um, so it's interesting. How do you feel about that? Well, it's funny. I mean, Jim has said to me many times when we've been together, don't tell me that or <laughs> let's not talk about that because, and you know, it's funny, he's very firm about it. And so, you know, we talk about something else, um, you know, <laughs> so he's trying to keep his profiling, uh, palette as clear as he can. Exactly. And, and again, you know, I'm, uh, just in awe of how this whole thing works and, you know, I've watched Mindhunter and uh, <laughs> yeah, good show. <laughs> read the books. And, and you know, I, I think it's uh, profiling is both an art and a science. But it's funny. Jim wants to approach this, like you say, and, you know, with this clean approach. He wants the evidence to to take him to mm-hmm. the places where he'll, he'll draw some conclusions. But um, it, it's a fascinating process, even just my limited window in into how it all works has been very interesting. Hmm. Okay, so you don't take offense when when Bill, uh, I mean, when Jim is saying, don't tell me that, I don't need to hear that. Did it take a while to get used to that? Because it's going to be pretty yeah. personal. Yeah, that. yeah. I mean, once once or twice, you know, riding along in a car and, uh, you know, I, as you guys can tell, I like to talk about the case and I like to talk to smart people that have more experience than I do because I'm learning from what them. What are you doing here then? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Take a wrong turn. <laughs> hey, I don't know. You guys are doing some great stuff. I'm hearing about new cases from you on the break that were very interesting. Um, yeah. And law enforcement's coming to you, which yeah. I'm impressed by. Um, we strong armed them. Yeah, I don't know. We blackmail them, in fairness. So, Bill, at CrimeCon 2019, you were fortunate enough to have an article written about you by the Washington Post. And this this reporter um, followed you around for a few days. Yeah, this is interesting. I was approached several years ago by the Washington Post about them wanting to do a profile on me, Um, you know, uh, the Washington Post has written about the Colonial Parkway murders, which is kind of in their backyard um, a number of times over the years. And I appreciate all their coverage. And I was meeting with one of the editors and she said to me over lunch, she said, you know, we'll continue to cover the Colonial Parkway murders. But she said, there's, you know, something we'd like to do is we'd like to do a feature story about you. And I said, I thought about it. And I said, I don't think I'm really comfortable with that. I'd like to keep the focus on the victims, which is where I think it belongs. And she said, I understand. But she said, if you're, if your uh, mind is ever changed, let us know. And I said, okay. And so she and I stayed in touch, and they have continued to write about the Colonial Parkway case. And um, a couple of months back now, uh, my phone rang, and it was a <laughs> reporter for the Washington Post, and she wanted to know if I was interested in perhaps doing a story for the, the Post where that would, the subject would be more focused on me. And I said, you know, (laughs) you guys pitched me on this idea a few years ago and I turned you down. Um, but let me think about it. And so I thought about it and I talked to my partner, Pamela about it. And it just occurred to me that maybe the timing was better now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, everything I'm doing is trying to keep the focus on the colonial parkway case and keep the FBI and the Virginia state police moving forward. And it just crossed my mind, you know, this is the Washington Post, it's the FBI's hometown newspaper, maybe the timing's a little better. So the way this worked out, uh, they assigned a wonderful reporter named Britt Peterson um, to write the story, and we spent about 
10 or 12 hours together off the record, over the phone, and she interviewed me about all kinds of aspects of the Colonial Parkway murders and what we'd done and our use of social media and what the, what the toll had been on me and my family and the other families. And interesting discussion, but this was all off the record. And then they said that they wanted to have Britt accompany me to CrimeCon this past year and record my impressions of CrimeCon. That would have been my second year attending. And I'd spoken in about the case in 2018. And so 2019, I was attending and going to other people's presentations and so on. And um, it was very interesting. There was a lot of push-pull behind the scenes. They wanted me to go completely on the record for 48 hours while she traveled with me. And I said, guys, I'm not comfortable with this. You want me to go on the record with you for 48 hours? And I said, you know, I may say something really stupid or inartful that I'm not necessarily going to want to be quoted on in the Washington Post magazine. So we finally agreed that we could have on the record and off the record sessions. But nonetheless, they had like pretty much unfettered access. And they wanted to get my impressions of CrimeCon. And so, you know, I offered impressions that that were both good and, and not so good. You know, there were some things about CrimeCon that I love. I love that thousands of people are there and they're in attendance and they're interested in, in true crime and in learning more about these cases. And they are, I, I generally find, very supportive of the families involved and the investigators and pulling for our collective success. And there's a lot of journalists there. Tremendous turnout from the podcasting community, yourselves included. And so there's a lot of worthwhile things. But there are some things that I'm not terribly comfortable with. You know, one is I'd made a point that at at CrimeCon Nashville in 2018, I'd seen this lovely woman and she's wearing a beautiful, clearly handmade dress that she had made herself. She's very talented. But when you look closely this pattern of her skirt were the faces of serial killers. And this made me terribly uncomfortable, and it still does. I think that we should, we the people, all of us, should not be focused on serial killers, and we shouldn't be glorifying serial killers or celebrating their images. And, you know, as someone whose sister may be the victim of a, certainly as the victim of a murderer and might be a victim of a serial killer, I have to admit, it makes me really, really uncomfortable for all of us. Yeah. And people talk about, you know, cases and they refer to them by the names of the murderers. So it's the Ted Bundy case and, and it's the, you know, and I mean, some of the stuff that's happened specifically around uh, around uh, Bundy this year um, with the Zac Efron mm-hmm. television series and, 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 you know, people... I mean, I've seen comments on social media, young women saying, I would have liked to have been one of his victims. And it's like, what are you talking about? And Yikes. why are we glorifying this? Yeah, I, I will say, I think CrimeCon and Kevin Balf, a uh, big shout out to him. I think he's a great guy. And he really, they, they that's one of their rules is to not allow costumes and things Correct. like that. They do not want it to be uh, considered like a Comic-Con type thing where people wear costumes and stuff like that. So. Right, right. And, 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 and I think Kevin's got a really good point. They, and it's funny, this year in particular, this is before the Washington Post article came out, 
the I thought CrimeCon kicked off beautifully with a very strong pro pro family pro yeah, victim yeah, victims absolutely. advocacy mm-hmm. message. I mean, the, and the, I turned to the reporter and I said, "Wow, yeah. this is it was strong in 2018 and it's even stronger in 2019 because I think the people that run CrimeCon." Kevin Balfe and his team are very sincere about this. At the same time, there is this balancing act, to use that expression I like so much, between I understand that we do watch true crime on some level to be entertained. We want to learn about these stories. We want to... Uh, you know, understand why these things happen. We want to explore the dark side of human nature. I get all that. And I, I watch some of those shows too. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's just sometimes when the pendulum swings too far in the, um, gosh, aren't serial killers sexy kind of place that I get really uncomfortable. There was somebody there who was selling shirts, t-shirts with serial killers, names and faces on them, and I am made to feel terribly uncomfortable by that. I'm not saying we need to have pictures of of victims either, but usually if I wear a T-shirt, and I think this is true of a lot of people, if people wear a T-shirt or something like that, there's an implied endorsement. In other words, if you think about it, people wear T-shirts with their favorite rock star, I'm a big music person, sports team, hometown, grandkids, you know, whatever, um, you know, I'd rather be wearing my flip-flops. There's an, a, a strongly implied endorsement of whatever it is you're wearing on your front or your back. Yeah. And I think that people have gotten a little off track when they think that it's really cool to wear a Jeffrey Dahmer T-shirt and, and they think that's somehow edgy and cool and, uh, you know, that, that, that shows that they're, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what. Knowledgeable. Or hip or, yeah. or that they, you know, they like dancing on the dark side or whatever it is. I, so it's funny that the post like really picked up on that. Yeah. And so, you know, I talked about all the great things about, about the true crime community. And I mean this, I'm including myself in the, in, in the in the community, I hope. And, but I also touched on some of the things that where I just kind of wince a little bit. And, and so they, they covered this, uh, you know, Bill goes to crime con kind of thing in a pretty in-depth way. Yeah. Yeah. The article definitely makes no bones about showing the crime con event as on some level glorification of this all. I'm, there are lines in the article that say this woman walks away from you and goes up to CrimeCon's merchandise booth where they have these T-shirts that say basically a detective and I'm here for an alibi. You know, you don't have to put that into this article. It was, there's there's a lot of those injections in there. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying it's it's like the first year, no one really talked about it. The second year, some people were like, this kind of is a little strange that people assemble to celebrate to celebrate true crime and i think it's really like this this washington post article is really uh the first one i guess that really came out to to say maybe this is a societal thing that we have to look at they they even make it a point to say that the attendance was up by a thousand right. from the previous year right but i don't think this is a problem though no yeah and i'm not i'm not made to feel uncomfortable by a t-shirt that says i'm only here for the alibi i mean i think well i think we, what she was saying in that was that is it are we are the organizers taking advantage of the 
the whole true crime taking advantage of the victims like that's that's kind of how it read to me yeah and Britt peterson does tee up the question about how does someone like me or any other victim advocate um how do we use the the true crime community as a as an avenue to help shine a spotlight on our our loved ones case and you know what are the compromises that are required and that's yeah. something i talk about in the um you know in the article as well I, you know i don't i don't mind a certain amount of look we all have to be able to laugh at the dark side of our of our nature yeah and i'm not troubled by a t-shirt that says i'm only here for the alibi am i crazy about someone that you know is is wearing a uh, a t-shirt that glorifies um, Ted Bundy at a conference where Kathy Rubin spoke about being a survivor of Ted Bundy. I mean, yeah. you know, that was an amazing conversation with Kathy, whom That's I've had point. the chance to meet, and I find her very inspiring uh, personally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And I, I don't think this is um, something that CrimeCon does intentionally at all. I think I think there's just everyone who goes is interested in the psychology of serial killers. I think ultimately that's why people are drawn to it. Same reason people are drawn to Mindhunter the show. They, sure. It's it's all behavioral psychology, I think, that people want to know about. Yeah. And so some of the conference goers maybe take that a step or two too far with wearing a shirt or a dress like that. But well, also, I think most people are just strong advocates for, for the case and um, whether or it's, for, for the cases they're interested in or what, whatever victims. Whether it's victim advocacy or, like you said, um, the psychology behind it, I think yeah. they, they're that's a, a big interest to them as well. Yeah, and, and we um, obviously work close with Maura Murray's family, and right. so you know they are very understanding of that sort of give and take that you have to do if you're going to make a TV show about your sibling or in you know in their case Mora um or if you're going to attend and present for your family for your vic- for your the victim in your family if you do that at CrimeCon you also have to understand that the company that runs CrimeCon and the company that sponsors CrimeCon, they operate a business as well. So in order for one thing to exist, the other thing has to exist. It's a percentage thing. And they have to they have to sell merchandise. They know that people are going to buy the merchandise. That merchandise goes into the next CrimeCon or maybe the CrimeCon cruise. Yeah. Either way, you're you have you now have a platform where last year over a thousand more people attended, and now you you have a platform. So you, there's give and take here. Yeah. You know, so, you, you have to see the capitalism in order to sure. understand that that's what it takes to get the platform. So I'm good with like 95% of what happens at CrimeCon. My family has never been a vi- victim of a serial killer or not gone missing or something like that. But I, I'm sure Morris family who attended this year, that, that percentage isn't quite the same. And with you, I'm sure that percentage isn't quite the same. You know, No, it, it's, it's probably not. And I totally get what you both said uh, about the, you know, look, here we are, we're working on a television series, and I recognize that the audience for a story about the Colonial Parkway murders, the Lover's Lane murders, uh, is largely going to be, you know, a, a part of that core audience are the all the folks I met at CrimeCon. And by the way, I met hundreds of people 
last the year before last when I spoke and then this year attending and they were wonderful and very very supportive so it's it like a lot of things it's just a matter of finding the right balance I think um, I think CrimeCon has has achieved that um, there are aspects to the vic- victim's advocate role that are sometimes a struggle um, in terms of um, you know, as I said to Britt Peterson, how much more do I need to compromise to get our story out there? That's a great point. And 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 I'm sure other families have had to deal with the same thing. You know, Bright Spot, uh, a year ago at, at CrimeCon, you know, how fantastic was it to have some of the survivors of the Golden State Killer um, yeah. be there to talk about, you know, finally after all those years, you know, to see some advances in their in their case. I mean, it was it was a thrill to be there, and you know, I had a chance to meet with some of them, and um, uh, you know, the audience was over the moon, so thrilled for them. And and um, look, as you said, most of us, thankfully, will never be touched by this level of violent crime. Um, there may be 200,000 cold case murders in the United States, and the Colonial Parkway murders are only eight of them. But thankfully, you know, there but for the grace of God go most of us n- largely untouched by by violent crime. Interestingly, I was at that uh, true crime uh, conversation the other day, and I found out that the realtor that had sold me a house many years ago in our town in Connecticut, that her cousin was brutally murdered you know and i've known this woman for many many years and i saw her in the audience and i you know after the uh, talk was over i I went up and reintroduced myself and we were chatting and kind of getting reacquainted and and she said the the author had referenced me you know just that they could tell that i had some degree of expertise just based on the fact that the author had said, well, as Bill knows, or something like that, and some of the people in the room knew me but didn't know what exactly Ann Howard was saying in making that comment. But afterwards, you know, small world, I discovered this this uh, lovely real estate person in our small town. Her cousin was brutally murdered a number of years back. And so, you know, there's the, what is it John Walsh says, we're all members of the, of the club that no one wants to be invited to join. You know, I never knew this about about Jeannie, and she never knew this about me. And it's funny now; she and I have one more thing in common hmm. beyond her selling me a house years ago. Was that an unsolved murder, or did they catch the person? It was solved, but in a very, very unsatisfactory way. Uh, she gave me the short version. You know, we were chatting in the parking lot afterwards, and she, but she gave me the short version, and it sounded like a complete debacle and the something Ann Howard had mentioned in her talk about very, very serious problems we had in the crime lab here in Connecticut that I'd never heard about before because I'm a new Connecticut resident about a whole scandal involving the Connecticut crime lab and failures of leadership by the director and they hadn't properly linked into the CODIS system so cases that might have been solved were never solved because they their computer wasn't talking to the FBI's CODIS database and just and untested evidence and on and on and on I was just floored this was a, these were stories I'd never heard before 